0: Welcome to 20 not something, the podcast for 20 somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy everyone and welcome back to series two of 20 not something safe to say this year has been a bit of a shocker but i'm really excited to introduce you guys to the guests i have coming up um they're all really brilliant and will hopefully take your mind off the worries of the world and remind you that you know whatever happens things do find a way of working themselves out in the end I just wanted to say a quick thank you as well to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast so far. It has been so lovely to read all of your messages. Um, And yeah, you have really put a smile on my face. So thank you for that. Also want to give a big shout out to the composer and producer of this podcast, Pete Half. Thank you for agreeing to work with me again on a second series. You are an absolute lifesaver in many ways, and I appreciate you so much. Anyway, enough rambling from me. I hope you guys enjoy season two. And yeah, on with episode one. Kicking off season two is the wonderful Nicola Linney. Nicola's 20s were mostly spent gallivanting across the globe, taking every opportunity to go somewhere new and try something different. After graduating from uni in Liverpool, Nick managed to secure a role in an agency working for Dell. Slightly uninspired by the job, she stayed there for a few years in order to save up enough money to go travelling. Excited, nervous, but mostly shitting it, Nick booked a one-way ticket to India, where she stayed for six months before travelling on to Asia. It was there, amongst the partying and hostel hopping, that Nick met her now-husband. But when he decided to go back to the UK, she knew she still wasn't finished with this new world she was discovering, and instead ventured over to South America alone for a year. However, after a nasty surfing accident in Peru, Nick was forced to return back to the UK. But every cloud has its silver lining and when she arrived back home, she met up with her husband-to-be and they both ventured off to India together, journeying from the north to the south on an old Royal Enfield bullet bike. Nick landed back in London and joined a design studio where she worked for three years before hopping on a plane to Sydney and never looking back. After continuing to work in advertising, Nicola transitioned into talent management and coaching for the industry, which is where she is today. Nicola's 20s just goes to show that it is totally possible to fulfil those travelling desires and secure a prosperous and fulfilling job at the end of it. You should never have to feel like you need to choose between jetting off and settling down, and often it's the total terrifying presence of the unknown, which when nurtured properly, can actually bring so much clarity. Nick, welcome to 20 Not
1: Something. Wow. I wish I was able to narrate my 20s in the way that you just did. <laughs> it makes it sound so much better than the shit show I delivered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is it a slightly more romanticised version that what you would no, have come up
1: with? I think it's just really nice. You know, when you hear someone else tell your story, you're like, oh my God, I actually sound interesting. <laughs> you are interesting. <laughs> uh, it's, funny, it's funny. No, it's good. It was really lovely to hear actually. I mean, there was, there's definitely a few colourful stories in between, but probably not appropriate for a um, you know, a podcast such as this.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I I feel <laughs> like our listeners would be intrigued to hear that. Yeah, um probably. so I thought I'd I'd kick things off um uh, by asking you the same question which I ask everyone, and yeah. that is When you were looking into your 20s decade, what was the one thing that you wanted the most?
1: Gosh, when I was in my 20s, um, God, what did I want the most? Um, That's a really good question. I think probably what I actually wanted the most, and I'm not saying it was a valid desire, but I think it was kind of like some form of validation. I think there was this Mm. sense of, like, needing to feel uh, validated, accepted, worthy, as if I counted for something, maybe, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, coming out of uni... Yeah, I don't know. I think we all come out of uni a bit bleary eyed. And, you know, we we come from this world where everything is based on uh, test results and scores and marks and feedback. And I think it takes a long while to kind of get out of that uh, system, you know, where you where, where really everything you are is defined by someone else and so there's this sort of sense of like you go out to work the job you get somehow validates you to yourself you know the feedback you get in the world somehow validates you to yourself and it's like you live in this really extrinsic extrinsic version of yourself that Mm. makes sense for a period of time and then it, it really stops making sense at a certain point as well.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I think adding to that, like, when you come out of education in general, a lot of your success or luck relies on somebody else. Whereas in an, in an education environment, at least, you know, you know, that if you study for a test, and you know, all the information, and you regurgitate it, that you will get a good mark. But like, it's not like that when you go and get a job. Um, so yeah, I definitely relate to that
1: yeah and and what's really interesting it's funny we have this conversation because I was just out tonight with a client and we were kind of in the same but different way debating the same thing which is like you know we, we live in this world when we're younger where we are sort of told that the systems by which we live in are there for everyone's best interests, and whether it's law or education or the societal constructs or you know whatever it's like these societies have been built by people that know they're led by people that know what they're doing, that have everyone's best interests at heart. And you get mm. to a stage in your life where you go, actually, that's kind of bullshit. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, that I've been living in this world that I believe to be true and believe to be fair and equitable. And actually, I kind of don't think I believe that anymore. And that was only something that came to me in, like latter years, really probably in my thirties where I was like everything that I was told to live by and everything that made sense, all of a sudden was thrown into question, like in a good way, Mm. you know, through Mm. social media, through, you know, Me Too movement, through everything that went on with the Catholic church, all of a sudden, all these systems that were in place that we were told were there for a reason, stopped having a reason. Mm.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you think that some of that realisation has come from the fact that you seemingly, through a, you know, translucent lens, did exactly what you wanted to in your 20s in terms of like, if you wanted to go somewhere, you went there? Um, or did you feel constricted by those those societal preconceptions that you're just talking about? Um, yeah, it's
1: a good question. Like, I think it's kind of hard, you know, I'm 40 now, bloody hell, I can't believe I'm saying I'm 40. (laughs) I look back on myself as 25 and I don't see myself as being that different. I think that I kind of think in a lot of ways, and this can be freeing and uh, claustrophobic in kind of almost equal measure. Like, I don't see myself as that different a human now to the the human I was at 25. Um, And when I say that, I'm actually, no, maybe this is different. I'm quite a different human. I don't necessarily think the world is that different or how I perceive the world to be is that different. Um, Mm. I think that, you know, that I think you always have to make a choice between like, what do I want to do? And what do I believe is the Right, and I'm saying that in those weird, inverted commas with my hands, like, "What, what do I feel like I want to do, or what do the thing, what is the thing that I should do?" They, I think yeah. they're always different. I think they're always different. I believe at 40, as I believe at 25, if you live your life for what you think you should do, I think it probably leads to a fairly empty existence. Because mm. I don't think you're ever really living your life. I think you're doing what you think. The world, what, whoever is dictating that expects you to do. And then who are you living for? You're certainly not living mm-hmm. for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely, completely relate to that. And it is that word should. I catch myself saying it every day like, oh, I should go to the gym or I should <laughs> like, oh, apply for this job. And I'm like, but I, I'm just doing that because I think that I need to. Yeah. And actually, maybe, maybe I don't want to. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. talk me through um so obviously you you bought that one-way ticket to India in your early 20s um talk me through that decision and that feeling
1: oh god do you know what I honestly don't think I can talk you through the decision well, I can, the only thing I can talk you through is being on the plane and um like this is where this is where memory is a funny thing like I can remember so acutely. Being on the plane and I was going from London to Delhi, the air stewardess going, we are now about to arrive in Delhi. It is 1am and it is 40 degrees temperature and blah, 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 blah. And she just said that. And I sat back in my chair and I went, holy, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course. (laughs) And I went, holy fuck, what have I done? Honestly, that is what I did. And I think it was only at that point did I realize what I was actually doing. And that, that was, I was on my own. I was 24 and I was arriving in fricking Delhi in India, a country I knew nothing about. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, you've bitten off more than you can chew here. <laughs> and then, okay, so the story gets even better and I won't take up too much time. So I arrived in Delhi. It was an absolute shit fight, There had been, like, torrential, torrential, torrential rain. We all got off the plane. There was, like, a bunch of people out there fighting to find their stuff. Like, lots of stuff hadn't arrived. Like, stuff had arrived. Got out onto the, uh, like, you know, where you exit the airport. It was still pretty basic back then, like you know, rickshaws everywhere. There was a guy going, no, the whole area that you're trying to stay to stay in is burnt down. And I was like, no, <laughs> be bullshitting me. So I was like, <laughs> going like, to the next person. next. I was going to the to the And then I got this rickshaw driver. He was like, yeah, I'll take you to the Paragranche. again. she was like, it's going to take you two hours in a rickshaw. I was like, I don't care. I think you seem trustworthy. I'm going to go with you. So I got on a tuk-tuk. The flooding was so bad in Delhi. Like, all the water was gushing into the tuk-tuk. It kept breaking down. <gasps> there are freaking cows everywhere. It was a nightmare. Anyway, two-hour journey later, 3 a.m., jump out the uh, rickshaw with my bag on my back, run into this awful hostel. And he was like, that, yeah, you can check in. Uh, I need your ID. Went down to look for my ID, and I was like, fuck. I've left everything that I own that matters in that tuk-tuk passport, bank cards, money, everything was in the tuk-tuk. So I had to run out back down into the street, literally through probably about a foot of water running down the street, tuk-tuk after tuk-tuk after tuk-tuk, found the tuk-tuk I was in. And I was like, (sighs) oh my God, I cannot believe I'm such an idiot. Thank you so much you saved me. Ran into the hotel and I booked in and I was like, I think I need a flight back tomorrow morning. I can't handle this shit. (laughs) (laughs) I am useless. And then I was like, yeah, tomorrow morning I'm going to go. And then I didn't. I ended up staying six months. But at that moment in time, I was like, Nicola Linney, you are a freaking loser. You cannot (laughs) do this shit. Oh my gosh! that's such a brilliant story oh, thank oh, you <laughs> one of many one of many let me tell you one of many oh. like how am I even still alive like seriously I should not be alive but but you
0: clearly did you know find your feet and it must have been in your element you know to just
1: stay in India and then go on to asia and so you know every cloud yeah I found my knees and then would often often fall down and then pick myself back up again I think it's like I don't know, I I just, I think, I think you have to know that nothing in life is ever going to go smoothly. And like, Mm. as much as it is so fucking stressful, when it's not going smoothly. Like when you bounce back, you're like, oh, that was quite funny. I I mean, I have a fairly good story to come out of that. You know, it's so in the moment, There's not a lot of humor. And in the moment, it can be terrifying. But actually, you kind of go, you know, post that moment, you can reflect and go, well, I found my way. Like, I found my way Mm. through. As scary as it was, I found my way through. As lonely as it was, I found my way through. And it's almost like, uh, not that I ever have necessarily thought about it in this way, but I guess in some way, on some in some kind of psychological sense, it, it builds re- resilience in a way that you maybe don't even realize that you're building. Yeah, for sure. Because I've never thought of myself as brave. I've never, ever, ever thought of myself as brave. And yet I'm saying to you at 25, I got on a plane with a one way ticket to India. I'm like, are you fucking mad? <laughs> like, was I mad or was I brave? Like now I'd look back and say brave at the time. I didn't mm. think I
0: was brave. Mm. It's interesting that. And I think we gain a lot of, confidence in retrospect you know when we look back at things that we've done and we're like oh actually I'm quite proud of that now when at the time it was like oh I'm just going with the flow or we're doing whatever Mm -hmm. so did you ever feel um I don't know whether you stayed in touch with a lot of people back home but I think in our early 20s a lot of people will either go into a nine-to-five job or you know fuck off around the world traveling and there is that distinct sort of difference did you ever feel like you should going back to that word um come back at any point
1: um did I ever feel like I should come back at any point I mean I mean I found myself in some kind of pretty dodgy situations where I was like you know, maybe like a cat, your luck's run out. Like maybe this is your point where you should kind of call it a day. But then I feel like there was, I I always had this thing. Like, I feel like I always had this thing that stuck with me even after the first day, which is like, right now, this is fucking terrible. This is terrible. And this is terrifying. Mm. Don't make any decisions from this point. Go to sleep. If you can sleep, assuming you can sleep, wake up in the morning, and then and reassess so there was always this kind of and I feel like that's actually a relatively decent lesson in life is like you know we can be utterly flooded and overtaken by emotions and in the moment it can feel like you're always going to feel that way but like if you're just able to go when you're in that space and in that time go do you know what probably nothing good is going to come of me making any fucking decision right now, whatever it is. So I'm just going to try and sleep if you can sleep, you know, different for different people, wake up in the morning, reassess and then try and make a decision that is from a different space within yourself, you know, that's maybe not, uh, not quite as emotionally charged or not quite as raw, you know? Mm.
0: Mm. So when you were in Asia then, um, obviously you met, I don't even know what your husband's
1: name is. James Davis,
0: JD. JD, no, no. JD. Oh, nice. Um, so when you met James, obviously, you know, you clearly had some sort of connection, but then you decided to go your separate ways. And I think that's really quite beautiful because you clearly knew that, you know, you weren't, you weren't done out there, even though he was going back. What made you decide to go to South America?
1: Oh, Jesus, I feel like this is another podcast, to be honest, Emma. But, um, okay, <laughs> we're about to go. So we had two weeks of amazing romance. Um, you know, I probably can tell you now I've only fallen in love with two people in my life. James is one of them, and the other one was my um, ex-boyfriend from when I was at uni. So like, when I fall, I, I really know that I mm. fall. Like, it doesn't happen often to me. So when it does, it's like... <gasps> kind of all consuming. Um, he had responsibilities and commitments and a situation in his world that was nothing to do with me. Um, but that was massive to him. And so I had to let him go as much as he had to let me go. Um, and I think my only, you know, I was already on my, you know, extended trip around the world, I was trying to make that last as long as I possibly could because when you're adventuring around the world, why the fucking hell would you want to go back to London and work, Mm -hmm. you know, where you Mm can walk up to. Uh, So I went to South America and I, you know, I I lived as adventurously and as good as I could, but I, I never forgot him, if I'm honest. Like, if I'm entirely honest with you, if he had called me and gone... I love you and I would love you to be back here with me. I probably would have given up my adventure in South America to go and be with him. If I'm totally honest, I would. Like that's how, that's how much I loved him. Um, You know, as it happened, that isn't how it worked out at that time. But weirdly things come good. So, you know, years later we found each other again and, you know now we 're married and living in Sydney, and he 's still doing my head in in different ways, so <laughs> <laughs> you know lo- you know love is love, and I think that uh, yeah i f- I feel like i just i don 't know i guess hindsight's a really easy thing to say, but I feel like I knew something when I saw him, I knew that we had a i don't know it's it's otherworldly i don 't really know how to mm. explain it but we had a connection that I knew was not something I'd ever felt with anyone else. And as much as it didn't work out for the first couple of years, um, and that was desperately sad for me, uh, we found each other again. So, you know, Mm. it, it came good, but I had to be patient and I'm really not good at being patient. But I don't think any of us
0: are, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I hear that story and I think, gosh, it's like a beautiful rom-com. But actually when you're in that moment and say for those years when it wasn't working and you missed him and like, it is awful and you feel heartbroken. And it's like, why is the world doing this to me? And it's so hard um, to know that something, you know, goodness is around the corner.
1: And the only reason I can be this philosophical now is because like we're still together. And, you know, and the crazy Mm. thing is, it's like, you know, all the romance from 15 years ago when I was like, oh, my God, this is the man of my dreams. Like, oh, my God, how can we not be together? This is the same man now. I'm like, are you fucking serious? You're going to leave a wet towel <laughs> on the bed again? Like, are you fucking serious? Like, so, you know, love morphs. You know, love morphs and it changes. And, you know, mm. that, that's also the reality. But, um, you know, I think to share that, uh like to share that level like we will never lose that level of adventure so you know since our Mm. since our adventure in that we did in um India we then went to you know five years later we went to Indonesia together for six months and we adventured there and then like another five years later we went to Central America and we adventured there for four months so like this is our life like we will we are never going to be the people that go to fucking Fiji on a package holiday. Like, it just ain't ever going to happen. We are mm. always going to be, hopefully, touch word for the rest of our days, going to be, where can we go next and what kind of adventure can we have? Mm. And, like, that's beautiful. Like, that's a really beautiful thing to share with someone, that that's what's going to define your life, you know, post-COVID. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it keeps you alive as well, doesn't it? And it keeps things interesting as well, like traveling somewhere no. with someone, you learn so much about them.
1: Yeah. I mean, not you don't always want to know all the things that you learn. About. <laughs> uh, you know, Let's be honest. I will have, to, I do have to say one of my least fine moments, I can share this right now, was I did shit myself in an internet cafe in India and, uh, I I was like, really unwell. I was really not feeling well. And I was sending a message back to one of my best friends, Doofy in London. I was like, Oh, Doofy, I just feel like I'm dicing on the edge of like, and I was like, Oh, God. And I stood up in the internet cafe and I ran out and the man chased me down the road. And I was like, (gasps) I will come back. I've just shot myself. I will come back. And he was like, you owe me 10 rupees. You owe me 10 rupees. And I was like, I will fucking be back with your 10 rupees. 10 rupees is about 5p, by the way. I was like, I'll <laughs> be back in a minute. And at that point, I was like, this is when I realize it's all gone so bad. And I knocked on the door of my hotel room and James Davis answered the door. And he was like, oh, God, darling, are you all right? And he went, oh have you just shat yourself (laughs) Look on my face? He'd never seen a look like it. I looked so broken that he just knew I'd shat myself. (laughs) Once you've shared that experience with some, um, you know, there's a lot. It's love. It's love. It's love. Brilliant.
0: (laughs) Uh, So when you finally made it back to the UK, uh, you started working at that design studio and um, how did you find that readjustment phase back into sort of normal life I guess
1: god um really stressful actually so I remember my parents were living in um, so this is back when my dad was still alive my parents were living in Hampshire which is about an hour outside of London and I was mm-hmm. freaking skinned. so I had no money so I had to move back with them And I got this job in London. Um, Yeah, I just remember sitting in their garden. And it had been about two years since I'd worked. And I was just like, I just felt useless. Like I felt, Mm. useless isn't the right. Like I felt like I just didn't know the bullshit anymore. Do you know what I mean? It was almost like I didn't know the nonsense anymore. I didn't know how to um, talk the language or... uh, or just play the game anymore. It was like this weird feeling of just, yeah, having somehow being out of the matrix. I I can't even explain it. So it was super, super stressful. Um, But really weirdly, I had gone to this recruitment agent, and I had never worked with a recruiter before, but I'd gone to this recruitment agent, and she was like, oh, I've got this little um, creative agency that I'm doing this job for. they're looking for an account manager, new business or whatever, I think you should go meet them. And, um, do you know what? I can't even remember my first interview with them, but I got the job and, and still to this day, the MD of that agency is one of my closest friends. He just turned 60 last week and I sent uh-huh. him the wine and we had this FaceTime together and... You know that was like what? Fif- no, more than fifteen years ago. What am I now? Forty? Yeah, no, fi- like fifteen, sixteen years ago. We worked together for two, three years, and he's still this amazing human in my life that I'm still really close to. That mm. you know, and I would say, you know, the, the work relationship was obviously a thing, but actually more that's come out of it is that this is a man that I will have in my life for the rest of my days, or for the rest of his. He's older than me, so. Oh, that's that's really lovely, and it's.
0: Again, going back to that thing of waiting and patience, you know, like he obviously felt so down, but you just had to wait for the right job to come along to sort of pick you up and
1: and yeah. get you to where you are now. But it's also luck, Emma, you know, I really mm. don't want to. And I think that is a really big, a really big part that is so lost in a lot of the conversation that happens now because, you know, everything is supposed to be so intentional, so constructed. Mm so you know created so like deliberate so you know we've lost this place for actually just fucking finding yourself somewhere like falling into something and it actually being the right thing and Mm. and I have to say my entire career and I'm not I'm not dressing myself up as a pinnacle of you know career magic I, I have literally fallen in to every job I've ever had and they have all led me somewhere, you know, and, and mm. they've all led me to, to, honestly, to pretty good places. I don't think I've ever been somewhere utterly shit, really. <laughs> I mean, I've, been, I've, I've done some shit jobs. I was a fisherman's friends girl when I was at uni, <laughs> when I was at Liverpool, and that's a whole separate story. But I literally ended up being pelted by gross fisherman's friends by about, about eight 10-year-olds, about about eight, eight, who were like, oh these are these are sweets, these are shit, and they pelted Putman's friends at me. Like, that's probably the only but really bad job I've ever had. Every other job I've had has been pretty good, and mostly mm. because humans you work around are decent. Mm.
0: Yeah, and it is all about who you surround yourself with in terms of the working relationship for
1: sure. 100%. And that is the, mm. if I was going to give any piece of advice to every, any single person in this world, it's like, do you know what, what you're doing within reason, like what you're doing is so much less important than who is around you. Like if you're working mm. with a bunch of people that are good, that are decent, whose company you enjoy, whose values are aligned with yours, then you're really fucking lucky. We're
0: going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now. Um, So a quick recap, it's just, I'll read out a few quotes and we just discuss them and you tell me whether you agree with them or not. And they're all sort of about living life in your 20s. Yeah, okay, go. Cool. Uh, So our first one is, in a world where we can be anything, our biggest fear is feeling distinctly ordinary.
1: Oh, my God, so true. Mm. So true. Yeah. But do you know what's really interesting around that is, like, who who defines it? Like, my question would be, who, who defines anyone's ordinariness? Yeah. You know? And, and who defines your own? Like, I think that we can live in this world sometimes where we're, like, so concerned about what other people think. And if you actually boil it down to... Who are these other people and who do you actually give a fuck about? Who cares, thinks what about you? Mm.
0: You
1: know, I think really,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think we're given so many choices as well and so many options from such a young, and so much information as well from such a young age of what we could be doing or where we could be going that when you settle for something, which might have been your dream job at one point, but you constantly compare it to what other people are doing. You just never feel like enough. And I think that is the key of like just...
1: But also I think there's a massive piece there around, you know, if you externalize your value to what you do, like if you you define yourself in this world by what other people think or by, you know, a job title or by a score or by whatever, it's like it's it's so reductionist and if like one of the mm. biggest things I've ever known like if you find yourself in a situation where, where when you're around mates you know mates and mates of mates and proper mates it's like it takes you often so long to get to the point before you go oh sorry what do you do and it's like it just <laughs> doesn't fucking matter when you're around proper people that shit only matters when you have very little else to say to anyone it's like it becomes a default of like, I've got very little else to say to this person. Oh, so what do you do? And then it's like, Mm. who cares? You know, Mm -hmm. no one has ever, ever been defined by their job. So it makes even less sense that I would define my own value by a job, because that is not how I measure other people. Mm. If I was to apply my own, if I was to apply my own measures of, decency to the world which is much more around character and generosity and humor and kindness and like I don't give a fuck about what anyone does for a job Jesus
0: yeah so true so our second one is I think I romanticized my 20s as a precious era the minute I knew it was ending and in my head I warped the reality of my experiences
1: bloody hell that sounds very philosophical Mm,
0: Dolly Alderton <laughs>
1: yeah right well I mean is it okay to say that I spent most of my 20s high <laughs> yeah that is so legit okay good I mean yeah I mean I did I was pretty hedonistic in what to be honest I was pretty hedonistic in my 20s as well uh 30s as mm. well um yeah I, I mean I think I think reflection is always um an interesting concept I I think it's like In its simplest form, it's like, you know, how difficult do we all find it to live in the present moment? Like we seem to find it much easier to project or reflect. It's really hard Mm. to actually just own where you are right now.
0: 100%, yeah.
1: And I think that's kind of the fucked upness of our reality because it's like we have no control over what was. We have even less control over what is. The only thing that we actually have any level of autonomy over is what we're doing right now. And yet it's the thing that we're all so, I don't know if terrified is the right word, but we just, sort of, we're almost like, we don't know what to do with it. So let's just fret about the future or mm. you know, fucking stress about the past. But yeah, I yeah. don't, I feel like, and I'm not saying that I've figured that out. I'm 40 and I definitely haven't figured that out, but. Yeah, I mean, right now is the only thing that we actually have any form of control over. mm mm-hmm.
0: Which is quite a scary thought in a way, <laughs> but also quite an exciting one because it's like I could do something now, which
1: Exactly it's know, set in motion.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, but it kind of requires a level of responsibility to your point exactly, which is like, oh, fuck, I actually have to do something versus just, you know, ruminate or stress or... You know, because none of those mm. things really require anything. As much as they sap energy, they, they don't actually require any action. Mm. Yeah. Um, and our final quote is,
0: experience is far more valuable than money will ever be.
1: Oh, fuck yeah. A hundred million squillion percent. <laughs> A hundred million, <laughs> million percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even if you're, even if you're feeling broken, shit about everything.
1: Well, and I think it's always about how you experience it. Like you know, without being, um, you know, without wanting to end this on a low. You know, my beautiful dad, who uh, lived his life to the full, really sadly died at sixty two, which was exceptionally young. Um, mm. You know, and he spent his whole year constructing his life around his retirement because he was like you know, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do this. And not to say he didn't live his life. He did live his life, but, but he lived his life within reason because he was like, when I retire, I am going to go freaking mad because that's when I'm going to have all the time and all the life and everything in the world. And he didn't get it. He didn't get any of it. And so there's this there's this assumption that we all make, Like, and I think it's part of being young, that we just assume, without really thinking of it, that we're going to live kinda to a ripe old age, whatever that ripe old age means. And if there is one thing that I would want for this conversation to create in people, is that, you know, that is not a given. Like that is not a given. And to put to to put your life on pause for security reasons to experience life when you're older. I mean, I honestly, based on my life experience, like that is a really fucking bad idea. You know, mm. live your life now. Um, experience it now because there are no guarantees that you've got two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. And that fucking time goes quickly. Cause how old are you now? Em? 24, 20, 24, 24? 24. Yeah. 24. Okay. So like, Fuck, I remember being 24 literally like it was yesterday (laughs) and I'm 41. So like the time goes so fast, like just, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to get this across in a way that doesn't sound um, condescending or whatever. It's like, just fucking live, live, Mm. enjoy Focus on the now. Don't worry so much about building shit up for five years, 10 years, 20 years, because it might be there, it might not. And like how sad it would be to spend all of this time now building for a future that doesn't come. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not just my dad that that's my experience. I've lost friends, you know, I've lost friends from cancer at 33, 34, 35. Like it, it happens and it's crazy and it's sad uh so just live live your fucking life Is <laughs> my advice I, I I hear you
0: and I love that and I want to write it on my forehead so I can read it every yeah,
1: day I'll tattoo it on
0: your forehead
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank yeah. you so much Nick this has honestly been such an incredible chat I feel like I'm ready to tackle my day now and just be like I, I, like, I'm like. i really tempted to just go online and buy a visa for Canada next year. Like this do is where it, I'm at do right it, now.
1: Do it, do it do, it, do it, do <laughs> it, Just fucking do it. Honestly, why would you wait? Why would you wait? But hey, I'm always going to be in the camp of doing it. But then anything you ever do, you're never going to regret. I don't exactly. believe in you regret.
0: You only regret the things you don't do. Am I right? Yeah. Cliché, but true.
1: Cliché. <laughs> <but true. laughs> like well, money. thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's lovely to hear your voice again, and I oh. um, keep it, keep in touch and let me know where your adventures take you.
0: I will do. I will do. Thank you.
1: Ah, oh, Nicola Linney, you are just one of
0: my much for shedding some of your glorious wisdom and honesty it's a real breath of fresh air if you guys at home enjoyed this episode then feel free to subscribe or leave us a cheeky review or hey both if you're feeling like shedding some love today Um, we'll be back next week with another cracker of an episode so
1: stay tuned and see you very soon